This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! The next time the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, The Game. Oh, finally, a busy Tuesday, a busy week, but I get a moment to sit in my computer chair and relax and talk about football with a friend. My name is Matt Bagley. I'm joined across the interwebs via Zoom with the great Justin Hopkins of ScoopDuck.com, and this is Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. We're going to look at uh, Oregon football. They need a new defensive coordinator. We'll look at some of the other changes surrounding Oregon in terms of the uh, personnel department right now. Big questions there. And we'll look at college football at large after Bama just stamped their boots in the faces of the college football world last night uh let, let's start with that natty my friend i know it's not a duck topic but i i kept thinking after the game how does oregon get to that level that was amazing last night well man i you know first off obviously you know my my uh, area of expertise recruiting 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 those two teams in the national championship or, you know, every year, at least in the top three of recruiting, every year. And it, it starts there. I mean, it doesn't end there, but it starts there. You absolutely got to have the horses to win the race. I, you know, Notre Dame, uh, obviously in the top four, first one out there, uh, is a really good football team, and they recruit well. But they typically are usually in the top ten, right? And I, I just, I mean, I feel like you can see that talent disparity from, uh, you know, uh, Clemson from Ohio State and from Alabama to even just Notre Dame. It was a really good team. It was a really good football team, uh, you know, and they do recruit well. But when you're talking about, you know, top 10 versus, you know, number two team in the country, and and I don't don't mean, you know, we got to take this back a step. Well, you know, look at Oregon. They they were, you know, number eight last year, number four or five or whatever this year, you know – yeah, Oregon's getting there, but we're talking about two classes, essentially. We're talking about two right. stronger classes than Oregon's had. Are they trending the right direction? Certainly, they are trending the right direction. But you're talking about three or four schools, if you want to include Notre Dame, that have recruited at their respective level for the better part of uh, of at least half a decade or more. You know, and, and in the case of Nick Saban, obviously, he's been recruiting at that level for a decade longer. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I mean... I hate to beat a dead horse, but that's where it starts. You got to have the horses. You and if if you aren't in that top three or top four recruiting year in and year out, you better hope that a couple of your, you know, your mid four or, or low four star or even your high three star guys hit. Like you just, you know, you nailed a couple of them and found you know true gems in the rough, uh, because that's what it takes. Now, two things that st- stood out for me from what Nick Saban said post game and something I wanted to write about, but it's something that if you're an Oregon fan and, and if you caught it, it sounded just like his uh, protege that now uh, coaches Oregon in Eugene, but uh, you know, buy-in one of them was buy-in uh, from the team, from what their coaches were doing. 
you know, what was going on there. It's such a big part of, of that team buying into their position coach, to their coordinators, to the, you know, the strength and conditioning coordinators all the way down the line. You got to have buy-in. I mean, these guys got to believe that you're teaching them the right thing. They got to believe that you're going to lead them, you know, to where they want to be. The second one, even more important was leadership. Leadership, leadership, leadership. I think Nick Saban probably said that at least a half dozen times in the post game. Just talked so much about the leadership, and I and I think that was an emphasis more so this year than any other year, given the fact that we had COVID and you had you know uh, college students that weren't able to lead uh, probably a normal life for them in terms of being able to see friends and stuff in their off time uh, and, and seeing their family and other things because you had so many protocols in place for that for that season to take place. So. To me, those things just rang so true. We know about recruiting. You know you've got to recruit at that level to get there. Uh, but really, when he talked about leadership and buy-in, which he mentioned both of those things independently at least three or four or five times in the post-game interviews, that resonated with me because it's something we hear Mar- Mario Cristobal talk about all the time. Yeah, yeah. You, you can see where Cristobal takes off from Saban. I'm also curious, you mentioned this at the start of the season. Um, I, I think it was like like – maybe September, maybe October, we were talking about the potential of Mario uh, potentially taking another job if he didn't get that contract extension. And you floated Bama. You talked about how you thought Saban might be done after this year. He just wrapped up his sixth title, and I thought this title was more impressive than the rest, just blowing out a really good Ohio State team. Uh, Do you think this is the year he hangs it up? Yeah, I agree with the last thing you said there. I, you know, for me, you know, for me, this has to be an incredibly tough coaching year for a lot of coaches. I mean, Alabama played probably its toughest schedule it's ever played in program history and all SEC schedule. They didn't get to schedule in the, the powder cakes that they always do. I mean, I, I hate that they do it, but I understand why they do it. Um, there's no reason to punish them for it at this point. But an all SEC schedule uh, you know, like you said, and then to get Ohio State and just blow them out of water and your best player doesn't even play the second half. You know, Devontae Smith goes out, basically doesn't even play the second half. And that was that, uh, you know, and, and to Ohio State's credit, they were without some guys, too. You know, obviously, Trey Sermon injured on the first play. Some of their defensive linemen were out. Um, definitely impacting. But, yeah, I, I think this is Coach Saban's best coaching job of his career. Tough schedule. Um, you know, your your offensive coordinator, who's clearly one of the best offensive coordinators in the country, takes another job, you know, leading up to uh, the championship game week at Texas. Uh, you know, big chance for Sarkeesian there, much deserved. And, and you kept it all there. You kept it all together. Uh, you kept your guy, you know, you weren't, uh, you didn't have to forfeit any games. You kept your guys in check. You kept them healthy. You know, you, you were able to get through all the COVID protocols. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I think that's uh, something that Mario Cristobal was able to do as well at Oregon. You know, Oregon uh, only had to miss the one game because Washington wasn't able to play. Oregon was up to the task every week. And, and it might seem like nothing, but I, that takes that takes a lot of work to have, yeah. you know, 85 to 120 kids all doing what they're supposed to do all hours of the day. Because, uh, you know, we know uh, from years past, you know, it's really easy to wander into Taylor's on the on a Friday or Saturday night when it was open under normal circumstances for a college kid. So to, you know, to really keep them wrangled in is tough. To answer your question, I don't, man, I just listened to his post game. Certainly didn't sound like a guy that was going to 
you know, going to be done and hang it up. I don't know. I mean, you know, you hear right now the chatter is that he's set to hire Bill O'Brien back as his offensive coordinator uh, in place of Sarkeesian. And you think, damn, how does this guy do it? You know what I mean? You're, you got, you've got an, the guy was an NFL head coach, obviously a a college head coach as well. uh, And he's coming to be your OC. And I mean, you know, say what you want about Bill O'Brien and what he did with Houston, which didn't work out all that well, but that's, that's pretty remarkable that that's, oh, well, Sarkeesian's gone. Let's just hire Bill O'Brien. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. To me, that move right there, like you wouldn't even think about it, but that move right there, if let's say Saban comes back and coaches for another year or two, is that the guy? Like, you know, I mean, does he come in and, and Bill O'Brien, you know, groom for that, for that job for the next couple years? I don't know. I mean, you and I, I feel like we have a pretty good handle on Mario Cristobal and how he lives for football, breeds football, and, and, and you know, 24-7, it's football, 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 getting better, competing. And it, it certainly seems like Nick Saban's the same guy. <laughs> you know I mean? So you start to wonder, like, okay, if this guy retires from football, what's he going to go do? I mean, I don't, <laughs> right. like, you know, some, right. some guys just, they, they won't know. They're like, I don't know. I don't know. Do I learn? Do, do I go play golf now? What I, you know, they're going to get bored. And so, uh, I don't know. I, I, I just, I guess, I, I think I was wrong on that one. I think Saban's coming back. I think he, he stays at it for a couple of years. And I think if Bill O'Brien is successful for a year or two and Saban starts to look at that option a little more, I think there, of course, Dabo Swinney's going to be in the, in the, in the talk and, and, you know, they might, they might make a move there as well. But, um, you know, for me, it, I think those two would be ahead of Mario Cristobal um save unless he starts winning national championships at Oregon in that time and then we're having a different conversation obviously 100 percent uh you talk about how wired for football those two guys are Saban and Cristobal I'm reminded of one of the times we've had Mario on this podcast it was the day after a national signing day I think it was like two years ago and all the coaches at Oregon are doing what you should do the day after signing day. You're celebrating. You're relaxing. You might be a little hungover after the night before. So you're you're sleeping in, you're getting some breakfast, kicking back, maybe spending time with your family. And Coach Cristobal was in South Florida on a beach somewhere, family with him at a resort. And how does he spend his time? He calls into our podcast like, What? Like, like it's your one day of the year where you're justified in having a day off, kicking your feet back, winding down a little bit, and he's so obsessed with football that he calls into a football podcast. Like, that dude lives and breeds football. It's just who he is. Yeah. No, they, they, are, uh, they are different, you know, creatures. They're just different – some people are, bit, are built that way. They're just, you know, wired that way, and, and uh, you know, I, I mean, I – I had a much more competitive nature in me when I was in high school, you know, wanting to win and be the best at basketball, soccer, whatever, you know, and, and now, you know, I don't mind, I don't, I, I, you know, no disrespect to Mario, but I'd rather sleep eight or eight or nine hours a night, not four or five and (laughs) get up and start, you know, cranking on some film and doing the other things he's doing but they're wired that way. They're just, you know, that's, that's what it takes to be successful. I respect it. I mean, and, and, uh, you know, we don't. We've never had Nick Saban on the podcast or anything like that. But I can. I have no doubts that he's doing the exact same things down in Alabama that Mario Cristobal is doing in Eugene. Mm-hmm. 
he's obviously just got the seven national championships to his name. But again, he's also got what what has he got? Uh, you know, fifteen twenty years on on Mario Cristobal. So, um, you know, Cristobal cer- certainly built the right way and doing things the right way. But uh, you know, I. I 100% tip my captain Nick Saban, seven national championships. I mean, just with what he's done, the, what he's built, it's in this era of college football, it's, it's absolutely, it's absolutely amazing. It truly is. I think the Saban conversation is a natural transition point for our next topic today. Um, Oregon needs a new defensive coordinator. And I've read from fans kind of moaning about this, complaining. You you didn't want staff turnover. You rooted that Andy wouldn't take the job in Boise. I look at it this way. Nick Saban has had multiple defensive coordinators. One of them is at Georgia, almost took a national title from him. He's had multiple offensive coordinators. The proof is in that pudding right now. Sark is at Texas, and Kiffin is at Ole Miss, and now we know uh, Bill O'Brien is the next in line for the Nick Saban career redemption tour. He's had tons of staff turnover over the years, and he still has six championships, right? Like, you can win with turnover. You don't need the same staff every year. And, 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 and more so, when you win, you're going to have turnover. I think it's natural that Oregon's going through this. Yeah, I mean, I think it speaks to two things there, uh, and and the two things that come out for me, uh, you know, for me on that is that a, uh, almost, almost, I say this, recruiting trumps all. When you have those kinds of horses, when you have, you know, Najee Harris and Devonte Smith, and and even a a thirty percent of a Jalen Waddle, and a guy like Mac Jones that protects the football and, and just distributes. I mean. I could call plays, you know, and be, and be relatively successful. No disrespect to Steve Sarkeesian because he's one of the best out there as an OC. But, I mean, when you have the horses, it just really makes your job that much easier, uh, in my opinion. Um, you know, that that's one of the things that sticks out to me. The second thing is that you're making good hires. You know, you go out there and, you know, Nick Saban does the same thing as Marty Cristobal. He vets a lot of guys, does several interviews, gets input from his staff, same thing Mario Cristobal does in Eugene and really, you know, kind of puts the screws and puts these guys through the, you know, in clamps them down and puts them through the screws in the interview process. And, and ultimately as good as Steve, Steve Sarkeesian is, I think Joe Moorhead's one of the best offensive coordinators in the country, not saying he's the best, but I think Oregon's got one of the top five coordinators on its staff in the country on the offensive side of the ball. I think Andy Avalos was a hell of a hire for Oregon. You know, that was a guy that you went and brought over from Boise State. Obviously, did a really good job the first year. This last year was a mixed bag, but obviously a lot of moving parts there. Um, you know, another tremendous hire. So I, I think so far, those two things kind of ring out in the fact that if you're if you're doing your hires and doing a good job and, and, and not just, you know, hey, this guy's available, let's take him. You know, making lazy hires will hurt you. And, and, and again... You know, Oregon continues to recruit at a level that will enter them into the conversation, you know, more seriously over the years. Uh, it's just it's just going to be a matter of continuing that success on the recruiting trail and, and staying in. You know, you got to stay inside that top five. You got to stay in that inside that top five, top six of recruiting for the next two to three years. And, and then I really think you're going to see a monster out here in Eugene. Do you feel like the staff in place without a D.C. right now? can keep that recruiting prowess? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I see no reason why not. I, I guess for me, the, the big thing is, 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 is Oregon under Mario Cristobal is always going to be recruiting heavy. And that's because that's in his DNA. That's who he is. That's, you know, Mario Cristobal is one of the, one of, if not the most hands-on recruiting head coaches in the country. And I don't say that lightly, but you're talking about a guy that wakes up every morning, texts all of his commits, uh, you know, texts the top targets, you know, recruits their parents, recruits their coaches, puts in the effort, not just, you know, shows up every other week on a Zoom call and says, hey, how you doing? Grades good? Mom's good? Okay, bye. And, you know, don't get me wrong, those calls are valuable, but, you know, to have a guy that puts in that much time day in and day out, uh, you know, all these things start at the top, right? And that's going to trickle down. I mean, the, the, the assistant coaches, the coordinators are going to constantly feel that pressure of, man, if the boss, the guy that doesn't have to do this, is is putting in this much work, I better up my game. And so, uh, yeah, I think he's got a great recruiting staff now. I think uh, the right defensive coordinate, co- coordinator hire uh, will be the icing on the cake. Um, you know, and again, just because there's changes at Oregon uh, from a coaching staff, you know, it just I, I trust that Mario Cristobal is going to make the right hire. Going to you know, going to find another guy that you know, possibly upgrade or, or at the very least, you know, uh, remain where they were. So yeah, it's a good staff now. I think it's one of the best, uh, USC definitely, uh, close, close the gap a little bit this year. And that was a big, you know, big Testament to them. The hire of Dante Williams, pulling him away from Oregon was great for them. But again, you know, Oregon at the moment, still the top team in the conference and still, you know, a top five tick top six, uh, team nationally. So I guess you got to go knock them off their perch if you want to be the top. Yeah. Um, I feel like we've got a lot of material left to talk about that uh, D.C. opening, but we also have a guest waiting in the wings, and I'm curious if you'd like to get to that now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> it's it's time. We're a little little past when I said, but yeah, it'd be great. Uh, you know, we're fortunate enough to, uh, you know, be able to connect with Thomas Ahrens, uh, Director of Player Personnel for Oregon, um, and and not just under Mario Cristobal, this guy that's basically been through all the past coaches, uh, you know, dating back to Chip, and uh, except for Taggart. Taggart was the lone year that he wasn't really around for. So uh, it, it'll be great to hear just maybe some of the duties that he goes through on a daily basis you might not know about, something that I've referred to in the past as the lonely work. You know, that's not the stuff that shows up in the papers or online that you read about. You yeah. just read about recruiting rankings and who signed. Well, there's a lot of work that goes in behind those things uh, on a daily basis. So, um, and just to hear what's next for him and, and, uh, and uh, yeah, it, it, I think it's an exciting guest. Some, somebody that we're not often able to bring in. hundred percent. I know it was a story on your site that got a lot of traction the other day uh, when you talked about him stepping down and, and making that personal decision. And I think it's, it's going to be fascinating and, and insightful to learn about what that position is learn about what his impact at Oregon has been and and learn about the why. Um, not so much the negative why, not so much the why are you getting out of football, but the what brought you to Oregon, what kept you at Oregon, what did you love about Oregon? Those why questions, um, I, I, I can't wait to learn from Thomas Aarons. It's going to be a lot of fun. Our guest right now is Thomas Aarons, the 
Oregon Director of Player Personnel and Pro Liaison as well. Now, he made news this week uh, with a personal decision and one that we're going to learn about and learn about the next move for him. He also was featured uh, in our good friend Tyson Alger at the Athletics uh, Weekly piece. Really uh, enjoyed some of the insights there. Thomas, whenever we have someone that is connected to the Oregon program, someone that works at Oregon, works for Oregon, and works with the Oregon football program. This is always my favorite question to start us off. Why Oregon? Why Oregon for me, you know, and and not to be spoiler alert on uh, Tyson's article, and I thought he did a really great job with that. Um, But but Oregon for me is home. Um, You know, I, I think when you look in the lens of a recruit, there's a lot of different reasons, right? Uh, and it's and it's weird to say it out loud, but the guys that were recruiting or were recruiting at the University of Oregon looked at guys like DeAnthony Thomas, looked at guys like Marcus Mariota, looked at guys like Justin Herbert, and kind of identified with those guys. And you know, those that follow me on Twitter probably think I'm way over the top with the uh, retweets and likes and all that stuff uh, from my previous uh, position at Oregon. And in regards to the wins and the number of people that viewed all, the, all those Oregon football games, it's just of, you know, and not to pull a Rob Mosley or anybody within the athletic department, a quote unquote hashtag national brand. Right. And, and I think people just gravitate to that in the eyes of a recruit, but Oregon to me, why Oregon for me, it's home. You know, I grew up in central Oregon about two hours away in sisters, Oregon. Uh, all you have to do is just go over the Sandy M pass. And I haven't made the drive since, but yeah, it sounds like that drive over the Sandy M Pass is going to be a little different uh, with the unfortunate fires that took place over the summertime. So um, it's definitely going to be tough to see that uh, when the transition takes place. But Oregon to me is home, you know, and I'm fortunate to uh, have said that I've worked at Oregon for two different tenures uh, and wearing a lot of hats in the process. But that would be the main thing that sticks with me every time I think of Oregon or I see the, the O, it, it's home to me. You know, and and like I said, put a lot of uh, sweat equity into that place, a lot of a lot of man hours and very proud of the product that kind of came together over this last decade. You know, crazy, crazy story there. I don't know if you know it or not, Thomas, but uh, I I had never I had never spent a lot of I've bet I spent a ton of time in Central Oregon. I had not really spent any real time in Sisters. And uh, Kim and I went up with one of my one of my kids, my son, Tucker, and his friend, uh, just for uh, the, like an extended weekend. And uh, the Saturday, on Saturday, we were at uh, Clear Lake, and we're in the in the boats and rowing around. It was a beautiful day, and, and uh, you know, we were leaving Sunday. And uh, Sunday morning, wake up in Sisters, had stayed in Sisters. By the way, had gone to the Sisters Saloon at least twice, and the guy in there makes <laughs> the most insanely good old fashions that you'll ever have in your life. They're they're tremendous, but uh, hopefully he's still there. Uh, anyways, wake up Sunday and there's smoke everywhere, and that was the start of the fires. Now, obviously, with me living in Medford, I, I came down 97 and didn't go over Santium Pass to get back home. So I didn't really realize what was going on until I got home. And then, you know, obviously, uh, the ensuing days, you know, the, the, the flames got huge. And But pretty crazy that, you know, Clear Lake on Saturday and, and, and beautiful and perfect and, you know, wonderful day. And then and Sunday you wake up and, oh, there's some smoke in the sky. What's going on? You know, just pretty, uh, pretty surreal. 
Back to what we were talking about. Uh, you've had a, a very, I, I would say, interesting journey at Oregon. You know, you've been in the recruiting office uh, for basically the better part of a decade under under a couple different titles. Talk about maybe some of the changes. Uh, I think Chip, I, I think you were there right right from the Bilotti to Chip handoff, uh, if I recall correctly. And the only coach out of the last five that you weren't really there for was, was Coach Billy Taggart. What would have been some of the changes that you've kind of witnessed? You know, we see the recruiting rankings going up. We know all about that. But what have been some of the changes that you, you've identified with in that uh, decade of time? I think the sure um, access to information, you know, through Twitter, uh, through social media, you know, I think is kind of the main thing that's kind of, I guess, made recruiting more popular. I mean, Justin, I think you can uh, maybe add on to that too, just in, in regards to sheer interest in recruiting has kind of taken off. And I think a lot of that has to do with technology, social media, uh, you name it. But I mean, I know I, in Tyson's article, you know, I kind of gave the example. I remember the first day uh, I show up to work and, you know, uh, you know, polo shirt tucked in, dress shoes, you know, all of this stuff, you know, trying to look my best. And, and I remember um, literally printing out uh, DVD labels and sorting it. So if it's Aaron's Thomas, I'm a 2009 quarterback from Sisters High School, you know, I'm slapping that up and I'm sorting it alphabetically, manually. Uh, by DVD label cover, because believe it or not, we still got DVDs every once in a while, we'd still get, you know, uh, VHSs or whatever. And I'm saying this, like, I'm like an old man, you know, 2009 standing out loud, I guess that sounds, you know, later than it really is, but that was a real thing. I mean, I was legitimately cutting tape, you know, I'm not like the Belichick Saban HBO documentary where I was in there, like, you know, legitimately doing the tape, but it was literally, Hey, the game's on uh youtube hey the guys they snap out of the uh the huddle one you know guy hits the ground flips the ball to the ref two there's one play you know what i mean and then you're going on one one two one two one two through all these games and that's legitimately how you know it kind of started you know and and that's so weird to say but that's that's how i started i cut it i cut tape uh i did all of those kind of things stuff uh mail packets all that kind of stuff that still exists but things like huddle were created who have completely monopolized the entire industry. You know, every high school has to go through a channel like Huddle. And then obviously every university uses Huddle as well. And that's how you're able to watch tape so fast and everything's just more accessible. So long tangent there, but I think technology is kind of the, the thing that's really changed uh, social media, social media being part of it as well. Uh, photo shoots were not a thing 10 years ago. Uh, just, just the, I don't know, sheer involvement with fans, and what, what gets you interested in terms of the eyes of, of uh, people all over the country is all through social media and, and buzz and hype videos and all this kind of stuff. Everything's just been kicked up to a whole nother level. And it's just weird to say that just in 12 years, uh, how different recruiting has changed uh, just in that regard. Yeah, it sounds like the kind of job that's tough to explain to a casual fan. Yeah, I mean, and that's just it, too. You know, I guess it's a lot like, you know, coaches as well. And obviously there's, there's various support staff roles. Obviously my role was in recruiting and personnel. Uh, but it's just like, you know, to your point, uh, in regards to a casual fan, Hey, oh, they just show up on Saturdays and, you know, they play uh, 12 games a year. And then, you know, what do they do? They're other 350 days of the year. Right. Well, you know, it's, 
it's the same thing that a coach goes in when, hey, you play a game on Saturday, you're breaking down the tape late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, and then you're getting ready for practice and the next opponent, right? And all the preparation that goes into that, you know, that's the same deal, but in a different kind of lens for, uh, for the recruiting department. And I guess for me, a day in the life of a director of player personnel totally, totally just depends on the month, you know, and I know I said this in Tyson's article as well, but, you know, if this was a normal year and it's hard to even say that out loud with uh, all the craziness that took place in 2020, but, you know, here it is, today's a Tuesday, right? And so, you know, more than likely we finished up an official visit weekend and you also maybe had unofficial visitors uh, in town over the previous weekend, you know, going somewhere, watching the NFL games, doing all that kind of stuff around town and kind of showing off the community. And, and then, you know, late sat Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, you know, all the coaches are out on the road and, you know, this is a unique deal within the last two, three years of the two signing periods. So here we are, we're in year three of the uh, early signing period. So, you know, if we want to dive into this later on in the podcast, we certainly could, but, um, you know, we signed a great class in my eyes, uh, you know, in early December, you know, and, and uh, in a normal year, that's where it's, you know, it's crazy just trying to do all the in-home visits and everything like that. Uh, so you're in the living room one last time before they sign on that Wednesday in December, you know? And so now this period, again, in a normal year really allows you to get a huge jump start on what is now the 2022 class. And so here we are, you know, Coach Cristobal would be bouncing around and flying around by private jet, and he's meeting up with different position coaches at different locations. And those guys are taking them around their areas or taking them around, you know, you name it, whatever city it is that we're recruiting. And so this is just an opportunity by using the NCAA rules technically to, you know, get face-to-face with those head football coaches and athletic directors and, you know, just making it very prevalent and, and uh and sticking out to the recruits that you're on for the 2022 class to, you know, really identify and go, Oh, wow. Shoot. Bobby Williams has been by my school three weeks in a row, man, they must really want me, you know, if I'm a tight end, you know, that's the kind of thing that you kind of hope with. And then obviously you just build really, really strong bonds with all those guys that are important at the school uh, for the guy that you're recruiting in that upcoming class. So you basically do all of that. And again, each weekend, you usually have guys on campus. And when you get all the, the coaches and the staff back from being off the road, and it's kind of a full-on sprint. And it's, a, it's kind of an early spring eval period uh, before that second signing period in February. And then, obviously, that's where you're able to kind of patch together the rest of the 2021 recruiting class. And then, you know, you have all the way up until August where you can, you know, allocate initial scholarships to anybody that's residing in the portal you know, which is obviously a new thing as well in the last couple of years. So that's kind of what it looks like. Again, long-winded answer. I apologize, but that's kind of what it looks like, I guess, for the next month. And then it just kind of varies from month to month after that. Uh, long-winded answers are appreciated. That makes Matt's job and my job much easier, yeah. just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know, you know, obviously you look up 24-7 sports or rivals or whoever, and just from a sheer number uh, this is Oregon's best recruiting uh, class in history. That aside, I mean, given all that uh, you know, you've endured, the coaches have endured, every even the recruits themselves, the signees for the past year. This uh, you know, this this two thousand year of two thousand twenty. Is this uh, the most impressive class that Oregon's assembled in your 
in your opinion, in the fact that not only is there a lot of star firepower, the fact of what Mario Cristobal and his staff and 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 the and your you know previous coworkers were able to do, given all of the restraints of this year of the COVID year, is this the most impressive class you've seen assembled at Oregon uh, ever? Uh, it's the one for me that I'm I'm the most proud of, just because of the obstacles you kind of mentioned and we talked about earlier. You know the fact that, and and again another thing I mentioned in in Tyson's article as well, but. You know, going back to when Coach Helfrich was the head coach, Cassidy Neuer, uh, Matt Neuer, RDFO, his wife, Cassidy Neuer, who also works for us, she's the director of external relations, really kind of headed up OregonGridiron.com. And at the time, and I still actually still still believe it's a pretty revolutionary website. Uh, <laughs> and I kind of alluded to it in the article as well. It's It was almost like our uh, natural disaster or major life event kind of insurance <laughs> policy that we took out uh, in 2000. Oh shoot, what was that? 13 uh, when the HTC was built for that first season under Coach Helfrich. And you know what was so unbelievable about that was, um, you know, my, with my history at Oregon, felt very comfortable kind of being the tour guide or the ambassador to uh, the University of Oregon just with the institutional knowledge that had just been developed uh, over the decade that I'd worked at Oregon to where, you know, here we are with the invention of Zoom. And I know our podcast right now is being uh, conducted through Zoom. I think we've all become Zoom masters uh, <laughs> through the last year. Yeah. Uh, I, I tell you what, I mean, I'm a heck of a host on Zoom. I'll tell you what now. Um, but that's, <laughs> that's, that's my deal where, you know, we're able to do all of that. And like Coach Cristobal said, um, in a press conference and also something I know Coach Helfrich really struck home too when it first created was, hey, Eugene, Oregon is not the easiest place to get to in the world. I know it's added uh, a flight to Dallas, Fort Worth, which is fantastic, and Chicago a couple of years ago, which was a big time deal with, like, like say, a Marcus Harper. Um, but like that's that kind of stuff, it's getting bigger and bigger, but it's not LA. It's not, you know, uh, Miami. It's not a place that's, you know, easier to get to. So how do you bring the University of Oregon into our recruits' living rooms? And it was through that website. And so there was definitely some things we needed to update. There were some things uh, that weren't totally relevant, you know. However, 85% of it was really, really good. And we were able to run with it. And I swear that was a huge reason our 2021 class kind of went on the uh, the run that it did. I know like Steve Wiltfong on 247 kind of made the the uh, uh, statement that no one ha does pandemic recruiting better than Oregon. And, you know, I, I think a lot of that had to do with, you know, the sheer effort uh, that our staff puts towards recruiting. But it was also because we had the resources in place to show just that, all the resources that provide uh, to all of our recruits and our current student athletes. So that's that's to me the big reason this jump kind of took place uh, for the 2021 recruiting class. You know, guys, we had a, you know, a heck of a junior day in March uh, where we were actually able to get somewhat of 450 to 500 recruits on campus uh, right before everything got shut down. It was a heck of a three days, you know, actually thinking of the logistics of those, those three days actually still keeps me up at night every once in a while. Uh, I can't shake it, but uh but regardless, we were able to get some dudes on campus and, you know, guys like Terrell Tillman, guys like Ty Thompson, guys like that before everything kind of got shut down, really kind of 
gave us a, a huge jump on the rest of the conference. And then because we had these resources in place and everything was kind of kicked back in terms of the dead period further and further back, uh, a site like Oregon Gridiron really allowed us to kind of go on a jump. And it seemed like as soon as Bram Walden committed in that previous class, the floodgates kind of opened up. And, and Bram Walden was a guy that never saw Oregon in person. You know, his <laughs> interpretation of the University of Oregon and was, was all through Zoom, essentially. And, uh, and through the relationships that were developed by using Bram Walden as an example, Mario Cristobal and Alex Mirabal, you know, and, and Alik Terry. And everybody that was involved in that recruitment, that kid just fell in love with our staff and felt comfortable with the resources that were provided to all our student athletes via Zoom. And I'll be dang, uh, here we are. Bram Walden is an early enrollee. A huge number of those guys are early enrollees. Uh, so yeah, Justin, I guess um, I'm, I am the most proud of this class. I think the other thing that was awesome too is we hired Cooper Patagna and Eli Mandel from the University of Washington. And we had just a tremendous staff with Don Johnson and Sam Popper and Keanu Yamamoto all in our, in our department. But, you know, I know that was a huge emphasis for, for Coop and Eli, at least, you know, being at their previous stop was, you know, dominating the West Coast. And we felt like we did a tremendous job of going through the West Coast and building this class. You know, of course, we still have, you know, our national guys that sign like a Jabril McNeil, um, guys of that nature, Isaiah Brevard, um, all those guys, Damon David, Dante Thornton, all those guys on the East Coast. But we felt like we did a really, really, really good job of coming through the West coast. And so for that, I don't know if it's the most impressive. I think we've had some great classes, uh, in the history, especially within this last decade. Um, but I'm, I'm certainly the most proud of this class and especially with my three years being the director of player personnel and, and getting to work with the guys I got to work with and, and, uh, you know, especially all the obstacles that we've, you know, discussed, uh, that's something that I'm, I'm very, very proud of. And for us to, you know, get all those uh, initials and, and everybody signed at 7.01, their local time uh, during the early signing period uh, without any hiccups, I thought was just a super major accomplishment. Uh, as director of play personnel, I know you wear a lot of hats and you wear all those hats every day, uh, almost like every hour. But uh, there's so much that goes into your job, and I'm not going to ask for a full explanation, but maybe just quickly, if you don't mind, what were some of the elements, or was there something in particular that was your favorite part of the job, and then was there also something that was maybe your least favorite part of the job, uh, just with relation to what you had to do on a, on a day-in and day-out basis? Uh, not at Oregon, not, the, you know, hey, I hated that Coach Chris, but just in, you know, your job, it's very demanding. Uh, I don't think people truly appreciate the amount of hours that, that you put in as, uh, you know, as support staff, not just you, all of your guys in the recruiting uh, department. Uh, but what was maybe your, your favorite and least favorite part of that job uh, while you were at, uh, while you held the job? The, uh, the most, hmm, my favorite part of the job would be, you know, just that when they did get on campus or, you know, I guess with this year, we're sticking with the theme of Zoom and virtual recruiting, <laughs> you know, was being was being the guy that, uh, you know, could really kind of tell the story of this place and, and, and be like a true like uh, witness to what this place can can do to people. 
you know, and I guess to kind of tie it all together, I guess one of, one of my favorite parts of the job was, was also being the pro liaison. So, um, yet another thing that was mentioned in Tyson's article, what, but you know, it was, you know, you'd have five, six, seven, sometimes eight, you know, scouts, personnel members of the NFL show up to a fall camp practice. And, you know, it's, it's amazing to me how those questions that they had about our players were all the same questions that our coaches, when they go into those high schools recruiting these guys, they ask the same stuff. What kind of character does he have? What are his work habits? You know, any off the field issues and, you know, things of that nature. But what was cool for me was to remember a Justin Herbert in high school, to remember a Shane Lemieux in high school, you know, to remember an Ugo Amadi to a different extent. I think that's a well-documented recruiting story. Uh, but, but remembering those guys all the way back when they were high schoolers. And then what was cool, and obviously my uh, career at Oregon kind of zigzagged a little bit in the middle, um, but it was amazing to see those guys when they were in high school and then for them to step foot on campus and enroll at Oregon and, you know, all the different obstacles, all the different challenges that those guys had to go through. Uh, but more importantly, all the resources and everything that they had in place to succeed at Oregon and to just see them develop and then being able to talk to a GM or a director of college scouting, you name it, in the NFL and really just talk about what this place can do to people. And, you know, not to get all sappy here, but, it, you know, that's that's the kind of stuff that really, um, you know, hit me. You know, I I, I know, you know. Uh, it, it's weird when you're recruiting a guy, uh, you kind of, you recruit them, you get them signed, you get them into school, and then you kind of pass them off to the, the development guys and, and the ops people and, and obviously the coaching staff, and then you're on to the next class. Well, that's what's always cool is when you do see a guy, they're enrolled, it's year one, year two, year three, year four in the program, and they still can go all the way back to, hey, remember that time we went to Wild Duck and you know, whatever, uh, the waiter dropped, whatever, it, whatever the case was. And, and being able to just have small conversations like that, you know, one of the things too, Justin, that I was in charge of, in charge of was, um, uh, the academic process, right? So guys getting into school, um, uh, guys that what they needed to do to be an NCAA qualifier as well as getting into Oregon. Um, you know, so it was kind of working hand in hand with, you know, making sure everybody's speaking the same language. I'd get in a group thread with, mom dad and the and the prospect and we're all hashing it out and coming you know best friends i think by the time it's all said and done and they step foot on campus so to me that's the most exciting uh and maybe my favorite part of the job was was just that you know getting to have those connections with those guys when they're you know 16 17 18 years old and then you know having them come here develop you know get drafted go off and have a great career or whatever you name it and they can come back and and still remember your face and and be so appreciative of all the work that kind of went into that, because I think that's the main thing too. Just like, again, I know we talked about coaches on Saturdays and you're obviously judged by, by W's and, you know, I guess guys in our role, you're judged by, you know, the recruiting ranking that kind of goes, you know, to the side of that class. But, you know, to me, it was, it was more about the relationships that you saw with those guys and then how they ultimately developed uh, when they were at Oregon, you know, and what kind of men they became, you know, um, and that was the stuff that kind of stuck with me. And I would say that was probably my most favorite part of the entire job was, was just seeing that the maturation process. Well, yeah, just, um, 
it's got to be fun, you know, I know for you, uh, for you being, a, I know you came back from Baylor, you had a one-year hiatus, but for the most part, you know, you were an Oregon guy for the last decade. It's got to be fun to be able to see those guys, you know, for four or five years come through and, and you know, like you said, just get to know them. And, and, and that's a very, you know, I think there's a couple periods in your life where you grow the most and it's, you know, like around 12 to 16 and then it's kind of like 18 to 22 you know, that's kind of where things change in your life in some major ways. And I don't mean just guys, I mean, everybody, but, uh, you know, obviously you're front and center for a very key part of, uh, you know, of, of that life cycle for, for a lot of people. Um, it's gotta be something, uh, you know, pretty special for you. Um, you know, we don't want to take up too much of your time, but I, I, I gotta be honest. I, I, I plan on having you on the podcast again, Thomas, um, you know, with that in mind, we can get in depth on some other things that, that maybe folks would have questions about what's next for you. I know you kind of put it out there, but not everybody's on Twitter. Not everybody's on Facebook. What's kind of the, the next step for you and, and, uh, you know, talk to us a little bit about this next move and, and why you're excited for it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, effective February one, I'm going to be moving back over to central Oregon, living in sisters, working Sisters, Ben, Black Butte, you know, all those resort kind of areas in Central Oregon, Tethero, Pronghorn, Brasada, yeah. uh, name it over there um, on that side of the mountain and uh, going back home and, and working in real estate with my dad, uh, with uh, Cascade Sotheby's um, over there in Sisters and really excited about that, excited to go home. Uh, myself, the girlfriend and the dog, we're going to be packing up my house right now is uh, a lot of just random boxes set up all over the place as I'm walking around on our uh, podcast right now. Um, but yeah, it's going to be the move over there, over that Santa Ana pass that we talked about earlier in the show here. Um, and then moving in and, and getting, getting rolling. And uh, you know, that's, what's been so cool too, Justin was, you know, uh, kind of to, to a much, much smaller extent, but you know, when like a light major life change or event takes place, like something like that, to to have all those people reach out to you uh talking about you know how much they appreciated you and and uh you know all the different stuff that kind of went into it you know because again it's not the most glamorous job i don't think you get into football uh for the glamour or the glitz some guys might you know that was never my intention but to kind of have everybody kind of reach out like that it was almost frankly overwhelming when it all kind of went down on sunday um but it makes you feel really good you know and and super proud of, of the work that was done and obviously know that it's going to be in great hands with coach, um, with the support staff that's in place, you know, those guys are going to kill it. And, you know, I think the, the class that was signed in December, you know, there's obviously still some, uh, some key targets out there for Oregon, uh, but they're going to get a huge jump start on those 2022s. And uh, you better believe as soon as everybody gets back into the office, Coach Cristobal is going to be uh, in full-on Zoom attack mode. Uh, and I, I can, I can s- safely say that to the fan base that there is uh, no such thing as complacency uh, inside of the HDC. Uh, never going to be satisfied. You know, I think, you know, whatever we finish with, you know, in terms of recruiting ranking, and again, that's not stuff that Coach puts too much stock into at all. Uh, you better believe that's going to be the next thing right how do you how do you get better how do you uh how do you get a class even better than this one and i know that's something that we always said to the guys that we were recruiting and say man 
we're going to recruit you like crazy, but you better believe we're going to try to out recruit you in the next class, you know, and it's up to you to keep your spot and do all of that stuff. And, and competition brings the best out of everybody. So anyway, I, I think there's some serious parallels. I know it's weird to say within, you know, recruiting and moving over to real estate, but I'm excited and learned a ton from coach and, and uh, going to carry over that work ethic and, and some of the stuff we did at Oregon over into real estate and, and uh, feel very confident in my abilities and, and uh, the company's abilities to, uh, to move forward. So really excited about it. And uh, thank you guys a lot for, for having me on the podcast. I'd love to join anytime. Obviously, I got a little bit more free time on my hands than uh, maybe <laughs> a week ago. So uh, uh, yeah, if, if you guys ever want me back on, I would be happy to, uh, to join. Well, hopefully, uh, you know, you never know, but hopefully your first sell might be, you know, to coach Cristobal's, finding something for him on the, uh, on the Aspen Lakes golf course or something like that. So winter home. He, winter yeah, his home winter, right <laughs> winter home. I think he likes that beach in the winter a little bit, but who knows? So, uh, no, Thomas, we really appreciate your time and, and have, and, and coming to talk with us. And, and we definitely want to have you on again in the future, because I think that there's a lot of information that you can provide um you know obviously i try and do as, as good as i can you know with the uh the access that i get here and there but um you know just to have somebody that's been on the inside can provide a, a whole different uh level of information so we appreciate that and we definitely want to get you back again in the future yeah absolutely matt justin thank you guys so much and, and go ducks I say this every time we interview someone, but I'm going to say it here, and I, I really do mean this with utmost sincerity from the bottom of my heart. That interview with Thomas Ahrens was one of my favorite interviews we've done on this podcast. What stood out to me was I, I felt a sense of relief from him. I've interviewed like Joey Mack, host of Duck Insider, Oregon uh, sideline reporter on the Oregon football radio broadcasts, and Rob Mosley, who we know does all that writing at GoDucks.com. When I talk to guys in Oregon that work for Oregon, that work with Oregon, there's kind of an unspoken rule that you don't speak. You don't, you don't say what's really on your mind. You don't say everything. You never reveal the company secrets or the winning formulas. And I got this sense from Thomas of relief that, that now that he's moving on, he can talk about what he was most proud of. He can talk about what he's most excited about with Oregon and, and talk like a fan would talk, except a fan that knows what, makes Oregon succeed on the inside. I loved that. Yeah, I mean, when, you know, obviously when Mario Cristobal is your boss, you're not going to say anything bad about him uh, at Oregon. And not that he did in this interview uh, now that he's not with Oregon. Right. But like you said, he's able to speak, you know, a lot more freely about, well, there was two things. A, he could speak a lot more freely because he's not employed there any longer. And secondly, you know, all of the, all of the, the recruits that he talked about, uh, you know, signed in December. So, uh, you know, again, the coaches can talk more freely about them as well. Uh, you know what you hear, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it was just, you know, I, I don't think people truly appreciate, you know, look, uh, I, and this is all public record. So it's not like I'm sharing a secret, but a guy like Thomas makes around a hundred thousand dollars a year and there's some bonuses and different things, but, uh, you know, uh, is that a great wage? Sure. Most people will be, yeah, I'll sign up for a hundred thousand dollar job. I get it. I understand it. I don't think you truly understand how much these guys work and not just Thomas, all those guys in the recruiting office, right. they're there, 
you know, at six, seven in the morning and they're there till, you know, six, seven at night. And depending on the time of year, that's a six or seven day a week job, you know, and, and, you know, when it comes to like uh, the recruiting, uh, the visit weekends that Thomas alluded to, you know, on official visit weekends, you know, you're with those recruits, like say the Ducks play a night game, you're with them till midnight and you're back up at six in the morning because you've got to get in there and get them, you know, get them breakfast and, and get everything prepared. And, and, uh, you work your ass off and, uh, are you compensated for it? Sure. You are, but, uh, you know, it's not like you get overtime. It's not like, you know, it's not like they sign these huge bonuses like the coaches do. Um, and I think that's something maybe folks, you know, and we didn't really talk about it with Thomas, um, and we can in the future, but, you know, for a guy like Thomas, you know, the, really the only way for him to go, there's only two real avenues for him to go up from where he was at at Oregon. And that's either to become an on-field coach in an assistant manner, which does happen. You can go coach tight ends or running backs or receivers or DBs. or You know, if you're talented enough, you can transition from that role uh, into a, a position coach. Doesn't typically happen at this level. Usually, usually you know, something at, the, at a smaller level, maybe a Mountain West, you know, maybe, you know, FCS. So a little different there. But that's one avenue. The next one is going to work for the NFL. And that's, you know, working. Obviously, you're not going to get hired away from that position to be an NFL GM. Right. But getting into that that sort of a role, getting into, you know, that department of the NFL, those are really the only two ways up. Um, you know, I think I think for him, you know, you're talking about a guy who's in his, his you know, I think he's late 20s or early 30s and, and you know, kind of looking at this like, hey, is this what I want to do? for the rest of my life or, you know, is there something else for me? And I think he was presented a pretty good opportunity to go sell real estate. Looks like his, his father's very well established in that area. I'm sure he can teach him a lot. Um, you know, he's not, not married, doesn't have kids. So I guess if you're going to make that transition, you're probably getting near the time where <laughs> you're either making that transition or, or you're in, you know? And uh, so, you know, I, I don't think there's, uh, I don't think anybody should, you know, be concerned about him leaving. It had nothing to do with bad blood with Mario Cristobal or, or, or anything like that. I think it was just, he entered a period of his life, a time of his life where it was, you know, you're kind of at the crossroads or getting, you know, within a year or two of it. And, and he made his choice and, and uh, you know, I, I don't think anybody wishes him anything but great success in the next venture, but you know, that's definitely a guy that's seen a lot, knows a lot. And, you know, something I think that you hit on, Matt, as well, wrapping up here. With his job, with all the things that he does, uh, even somebody that follows recruiting at a high level on the sites, like a lot of the folks of Scoop Duck do, they truly can't understand everything that he does on a daily basis. All right. of the little hats he wears, you know, there are. Let's face it, with Oregon and with other schools, there's a lot of little dark secrets in there, and it's not anything that's going to get anybody thrown in jail. It's not anything like that, but there are things that you can't say that might not be out there. I don't know if that applies to Thomas or not, but it's certainly in the industry that that is the case. And so, you know, I think for him, kind of having the uh, ability to speak a little bit more freely, you know, maybe try and explain people what he did so that they might better understand his job and can relate a little better. I think all those things are nice. And uh, hopefully, hopefully we can have him maybe, you know, on two, three, four more times over the next few months and, and just, you know, break down some of the prospects or, or you know, talk about some of his experiences or, or things like that, uh, you know, from his, from his 
decade. And that's, you know, the last thing I, I said, the last thing was the last thing, but this really is. Um, it was just funny in that interview to hear Thomas, you know, say we and are and stuff, because it really, it, it's something that I don't think people, people appreciate. Thomas, you know, graduated from Oregon, grew up in Oregon. Like it's in his DNA. This is, wasn't a guy that, you know, came to Oregon because it's a great job and wanted to be a part of the brand. That was really like his dream job. You know what I mean? He, that was a guy working at his alma mater. He bled green and yellow. I mean, and it's funny. I think he's going to, he'll have a really tough time. He may never stop saying we and are when it comes to recruits and signees and stuff, because that's how much he feels like, you know, a part of the program. So I think, I think it speaks to the level when he continues to do that, that he's no longer working there, but still very, feels a very, very much a part of it. And it, it would certainly seem to illustrate that there's no b- bad blood on this departure. It was merely just him coming to a crossroads and deciding, you know, to take that next step. Yeah. Crossroads, I think, is the best word anybody could use to describe this. Uh, he referred to himself as uh, Sisters High School, class of 2009. I'm North Medford, class of 2010. So I, I know firsthand, being in my late 20s, seeing friends of mine that are college professors and friends of mine making triple digits and and I'm making 30 and I I never got my degree and you know things like that at this age I know I'm going through this I think it's common for people to go through this you wonder is there a better path for me and and I think as great as his path at Oregon was and his future at Oregon like you said um he has an opportunity to go home to work with his family to work in dare say it the most beautiful part of our state i've spent tons of time in the high desert and uh, in in the greater uh, bend sun river sisters area it's gorgeous uh, ask kelly graves he knows that's where he has his summer home um i i think that path arguably is a better path than the one he had before. And so he took it and, and I don't blame him at all. I think it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, long-term there's obviously a, you know, longevity, uh, you know, in that, in that adventure for him, there's, you know, there's sustainability. I, I, I know there are guys that are directors of player personnel and, and do it for 20 years um, that have families and make it work. And there are a lot of guys that, you know, probably tell you, Hey, I'd like to see my kids more. And I get it. And it's, it's, it's demands of the job. It's not just demands of the job at Oregon. It's demands of that job, you know, at any major school. So, uh, and yeah, like you said, man, you're going to go work in sisters, Oregon. That's pretty tough to beat. I wouldn't mind. I mean, uh, you know, uh, maybe I need to hit Thomas up and, and see if he can find me a deal on moving scoop duck HQ over to sisters, but- a, wh- a white Christmas and Mount <laughs> bachelor just right down the road. You can't beat right. that. Well, yeah, and you've got you you've got uh, you know Three Creeks Brewing is right there, and you you know you can get into Redmond and go to Wild Ride Brewing, and there's all kinds of great food and great restaurants, and and I'm not kidding, we went to the the Sisters Saloon twice uh, in those four days we were there because the food was incredible and the old fashions were just to die for. Yeah. So yeah, no, it was uh yeah, I could definitely uh I could definitely handle living at Sisters. I'm sure Thomas will enjoy it, and uh, I, you know again I I think. I think uh, I think that's an exciting thing for him, and and like you said, there's a lot of people around that age, around your age, around Thomas's age, that is like, you know, hey, am I going down the right path? Is is it time for something new? Should I go back to school for a year or two? And 
you know, learn this trade or, and, and uh, it's definitely a transition in, in our society where I think, you know, folks are getting a little bit later uh, in the life cycle before they start to kind of make those decisions, which I don't know, maybe that attributes to human beings are living longer than they have, you know, overall. And that's kind of the reasoning for it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know these answers. This is just a simple podcast about the Oregon ducks. So I, that, that definitely went down on, on a tangent, but it's not uncommon. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and we, we could talk about that for years. Uh, I mean, I think about, I think about social media. I think that's the big thing: is you see everybody else's successes on social media. Uh, we could talk about that for an hour, but that, that's kind of where I would put it. Anyway, um, we also have to talk about the defensive coordinator job before we run out of time. Oh yeah, that's right. Oregon is looking for a DC. I I totally forgot about that. <laughs> Um, I, I said it this way on my show last night. You can hire from the inside or you can look outside. And if you look outside, to me, the question is, do you pick from a great college program or do you pick from the NFL? I wonder what you think about all that. Well, you know, I guess if we know nothing else, you know, Mario Cristobal will, will exhaust all options and he, you know, will really just, just spend a lot of time trying to identify uh, the right candidate. And, and I think you'll look at, you'll look at all three options. You'll look at, Hey, is, is, is Ken Wilson ready? Is Keith Hayward ready? You know, am I, is my best candidate right in front of me? And I believe both will interview as if they were somebody not with the program, you know, Hey, what, what, you know, what do you offer? What are you going to bring to the table? What do you want to run? You know, how do you fit what we do? I think both of those two will interview just like they you know, weren't coaches at Oregon currently. And, you know, I, I personally feel like there's a lot of great defensive coordinator names available right now and, and some that might, con, you know, continue to become available uh, in, in the coming weeks. And so I think that this is a uh, – unlike last year, last year I thought when Mario Cristobal was looking for offensive coordinator that the, 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 the talent pool, so to speak, was a little bit smaller. You know what I mean? It was just a couple of really good names and then a lot of other ones. I think there's a lot of really good names this time around. And, uh, you know, do you look at Tosh Lupoy potentially coming back to Oregon? I think a lot would have to happen, you know, for that to come together. Uh, you know, obviously we know about Mississippi State's D.C., you know, Zach Arnett interviewing yesterday with Oregon. Is he the guy? It sounds like LSU and Texas are both very much in the mix there. Uh, you know, Tim DeRuiter at Cal is a name that I've mentioned quite a few times, you know, being a potential guy that Mario Cristobal uh, will target. And additionally, you know, you start to wonder with Chris Peterson now gone, is, is Pete Kwiatkowski maybe a little bit more open to a move than he's ever been in the past? I mean, it, 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 it seems unlikely, but it seems more plausible than it has in the past years. Um, you know, Todd Orlando down at USC did a pretty good job this year. And that's a guy that, that, uh, you know, Mario Cristobal does have a pre-existing relationship with, you know, definitely something, uh, you know, because I think for Mario, uh, for Coach Cristobal, I think there's definitely that, uh, you know, you can double down on a move like this when you pull away, uh, you know, one of your, you know, in-conference opponents, best coaches, and make him your own. I mean, you're double dipping at that point and really, you know, uh, taking Todd Orlando from USC or taking uh, Pete Kwiatkowski from Washington or DeRuiter from Cal, you know, definitely hurts all three of those programs if if you were to pluck that guy and and bring him to Eugene. So, those are just a few of the names. You know, I did an article, obviously, that had uh, nearly 20 names on it. And I'm sure on some level, all of those guys will get vetted. 
Um, you know, but ultimately, I, I think Coach Cristobal is really going to target somebody that has a good understanding of the West Coast of offenses in the Pac-12, which are very diverse. I mean, you've got you've got spread, you've got air raid, you've got power football, um, and everything in between. So it's a very diverse group of offenses within this conference. Uh, you know, it takes a flexible defensive coordinator. You know, all those things. I, I I'd be shocked if we had a higher within two weeks. You know, probably in that two to three week time span from today. I think is when something something will get a little closer. But uh, we know he's going to take his time, and and uh, obviously it's something that we'll continue to talk about as things maybe start to kind of hone in yeah. on a few. You know, we he'll, he'll get it down to you know five, six, seven guys, and the next thing you know, it'll be two, three, four guys, and then you know, next thing you know, it'll be down to two and and down to one, obviously. So we'll get there. I just think we're still very much in the 10 plus guy range right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't know what direction Mario is going to take in terms of promoting a Keith Hayward or promoting a Ken Wilson or looking outside the program across the PAC 12 or the SEC or even the NFL. Uh, but I can say confidently, if we remember the Avalos process we remember the Joe Moorhead process. This is going to be a deliberate process. He's going to take his time, do a ton of interviews, and a lot of homework, and whatever hire gets made, there's going to be a lot of work that leads up to it. 100%. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I think folks really undervalue this part of what Mario Cristobal does, which you know, on the surface, yeah, it seems like, hey, look, there's two or three names that are pretty obvious. Just interview them and hire the best one. You know, you overlook a lot of really good candidates when you do that. Um, you know, let's face facts. Last year, if Mario Cristobal had rushed making an offensive coordinator hire, Joe Moorhead wasn't available yet when yeah. he started. Uh, I, so, you know, are you going to lose some guys, you know, along the way from taking your time? Sure, sure you are. But, uh, you know, you might also you know, find a guy that's not yet available. Uh, honestly, I mean, you start looking at, at, at Derek Ansley down at, at Tennessee. There's a lot of scuttle that Jeremy Pruitt's going to get fired this week from Tennessee. And, and that's, that's a twofer right there. You're talking about Jeremy Pruitt being a terrific defensive coordinator. Obviously, Mario Cristobal knows him well from the time at Alabama. And then his defensive coordinator, Derek Ansley, is one of the better highly regarded DCs in the country. So, you know, you've got potentially two names there that aren't even – uh, in the job pool just yet that, yeah. that might become might come available. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a guy right there. Every time his name comes up, I think about his year in the NFL and I think about his Bama pedigree. Uh, you're you're not just talking about one of the best DCs up and coming in college football, but already one of the best D backs coaches in college football. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and <clears throat> you know, just a lot of names and. Uh, Here's the other thing: you got to find the right fit. It, you know, it can't just be, "Hey, this guy led the country in turnovers or whatever." It, it can't be that. You're you're going to interview these guys with most, if not your entire staff, and everybody on the staff's got to be behind it. You know what I mean? If you get one bad piece in there, uh, you know you got problems. And so, again, this is something that'll that'll take time, and it's something that. You know, I talked about earlier, the very start of this podcast, you know, uh, Nick Saban's done a terrific job making these hires, these kinds of hires. Does he replace them with high profile names? Mm -hmm. Sure. Alabama has a huge budget. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we, you know, Oregon is not in position to afford a guy like Bill O'Brien. And that's that's OK. There's some really good guys out there as well that, that Mario Cristobal can't afford. 
uh, you just you just want to make sure that you nail this hire. It's it's very critical. Yeah, yeah. Not so much the quick hire, the flashy hire, but the right hire. That'll be the goal for Mario Cristobal and company. Uh, one last note, wrapping the pod. We were going to talk a ton about basketball, and then the world changed on us again. Uh, Oregon men, this just came down the wire a few minutes ago. They are on hiatus this week. They will not play. And uh, we learned yesterday that the Oregon ladies would also miss some time this week. They were slated to play the uh, the desert schools, and now that's down to just one. Arizona State is unable to play. So Thursday, Oregon women's basketball at Arizona, number 10 at number 11. That's the only college basketball game for the Duck programs this week. Well, I know you and I kind of said this off air, and uh... – it probably belongs on air too. Uh, I love sports much. The next guy, I love college football. I'll watch college football. I'd probably watch college football year round. I really would. I, I just love the sport. Uh, I do enjoy uh, college basketball, but college football rules for me, no doubt. Uh, sometimes you just need a little break. Sometimes you need a little break in between sports. It doesn't hurt to kind of give yourself a, a you know just, just a small break away and get back to reality. Maybe do some of the chores around the house that you've been putting off because the national championship game was coming on or, or, you know, the ducks are going to play on Thursday or, or whatever the case might be. So, you know, maybe a, a light week or two here as football has, has uh, finally finished up maybe a, a week or two here won't hurt anybody's feelings. So, um, you know, it's a bummer that they can't play, but uh, I, I like what we've seen out of the men's and women's teams. It's pretty clear that this women's team is really good. Uh, but not number one, you know, I mean, Stanford's still showing that, that there's a little bit of a difference between where they are currently and where the ducks are currently. doesn't mean they can't get there by, you know, March and April, but it definitely showed that that's the case. And I think with the men, I think right now the break would be good. Cause I think they just need to get healthy. I think that's the number one thing for the men's team right now. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so that, that'll be something to look forward to in the weeks ahead. I feel like that's a good note to wrap us on, my friend. Is there anything else that we missed that you want to address? <clears throat> I don't. I don't think so. I think I. I think we've kind of covered all the bases there, and and uh, you know we had a terrific guest. Um, I don't know, but we've probably gotten almost nearly ninety minutes of podcast, which is a pretty good long full podcast. So. Yeah. I don't think I think everybody's gotten their money's worth on this one, but uh, no, I, I I'm you know I, I think we've covered all the bases, and uh, you know we've got a couple of weeks here that we can you know really when when basketball gets back into motion talk about them. National signing day is coming up in a couple of weeks, and before you know it, Matt, we're gonna blink our eyes and it's uh, it's spring football just like that. Yeah. Yeah, and eight months away from Ohio State, I've already seen that teased uh, a few times. <laughs> That, uh, that's definitely going to be something, man. I, that, uh, you know, they played a heck of a football game, but it really just goes to show how much better Alabama is than everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. Saban's got his ABCs down. That's for sure. Always be crutin'. Okay. Scoop duck and hi-fi. Uh, we loved that interview with Thomas Aaron's give it a listen. And I mentioned that article that he did, uh, on the athletic with Tyson Alger. 
give it a read if you have a membership there. It's totally worth it. Uh, we'll be back next week, hopefully early next week, and we'll get you the 411 on everything going on in Oregon football. Who's going to be the next defensive coordinator? We'll talk about it next week. Uh, what's next in recruiting? We'll tackle that angle as well. And then basketball. Are the Oregon ladies going to keep their winning ways? We'll talk about that next week right here. Give us a listen, give us a review, and go Ducks. I can do this now.